Welcome to Next Matters Most, a podcast on the future of business, entrepreneurship, and technology. I'm your host, Nick Jordan, and I'm here with David Morris and Patrick Lineberry, uh, both of which are attorneys. Uh, well, there are many things, uh, all, including, but not limited to, attorneys uh, with the Forest Firm, uh, which is a well, I'll let you guys tell it, but I, as I know it, it's a statewide, so many different markets uh, in North Carolina serving the business community. Um, and you each have different areas of expertise and backgrounds, which I'll let you go into. But today, I specifically uh, am looking forward to talking about uh, opportunity zones and what that means as either an investor, um, but also as an entrepreneur and how people might uh, be able to take advantage of that in a kind of a win-win way on both sides of that coin. So I'll stop there. Um, Patrick, your camera's on. So like, I'll give you first dibs. Uh, give us your intro and elevator pitch about who you are and, and, and what you're working on. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having us on. Uh, Patrick Lineberry. I'm an attorney with the Forest Firm. I uh, handle mainly commercial real estate transactions and lately have been finding myself getting into uh, the Opportunity Zone stuff. So we have done actually a lot of work with this and have advised clients on a lot uh, having to do with Opportunity Zones and uh, looking forward to the conversation. I'm based out of Greensboro, wife, three kids. Hey guys. <laughs> They'll be in college by the time this uh, actually <laughs> ships. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no offense, shipping team. All right. Uh, thanks, Patrick. David, what's up? Uh, yes, my name is David Morris, and I'm one of the managing attorneys with the Forest Firm. I work out of our Durham office. Uh, my primary focus in terms of practice is acquisitions, uh, private equity and venture capital fund formation, um, debt and equity private placements. Um, I've been uh, uh, with the firm for about five years now, going my fifth year now. Um, and opportunity zones are something that Patrick and I have been working on for the past year. And uh, uh, have, have enjoyed the opportunity to work with them on some of the transactions that we've closed thus far. Cool. And I, you've also both given uh, presentations. And so if there's any uh, collateral that's, that you've pub made public from any of your presentations, I'll make sure to, to post a link to that uh, kind of in the, in the show notes or whatever. Um, link in bio. So let's you know, not spend a ton of time. We're going to hard stop it at an hour. I know everyone's got other business to do, um, but high, high level, like what is an opportunity zone? How did it get created and why? And, you know, let's start kind of from, from the beginning. Uh, I'll, I'll start Dave and you can fill in where, where you, you deem necessary, but the Opportunity Zone legislation is uh, a product of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act passed by Congress in 2016. Uh, basically incentivizes investors to put money into uh, economically depressed areas. And these economically depressed areas are called, or what we call Opportunity Zones. They are designated by the states and certified by the Treasury. And um, that's how we know where they are. <clears throat> you can find them by going to your municipality your, or your county's GIS. They usually have some, some updated maps showing uh, where the opportunity zones are. So if you're looking at some property to buy or to invest in, or you're looking at a business to invest in, you want to know if it's an opportunity zone, you just uh, you need to find your uh, municipality or county's uh, GIS and see if they ha have maps updated for that. 
But anyways, uh, that aside, <clears throat> uh, the Opportunity Zone legislation designed to get investors to put money into economically depressed areas. And it offers investors uh, two kind of tax advantages. Uh, one is on the front end of the investment and one is on the back end of the investment. Uh, first of all, an investor who wants to realize the benefits of the Opportunity Zone legislation needs to have qualified capital gains. And there's a whole lot to kind of figuring out what that is, but for the moment, we'll just say it's, we'll, we'll just say capital gains need to be invested into the Opportunity Zone. And they get invested into the Opportunity Zone by being put into a qualified Opportunity Fund. <clears throat> so once they're put into the Qualified Opportunity Fund, uh, assuming that the Opportunity Fund maintains its status for the duration of the investment, couple things happen. Once the gains go into the fund, uh, the basis of the gains gets set to zero. If you hold those gains in the fund for at least five years, uh, or at least until 12, 31, 2026, your basis in those gains gets stepped up from zero, uh, gets a 10% step up in basis at this point. So <clears throat> at 12, 31, 2026, an investor is going to have what's called an inclusion event um, if they haven't sold off their investment already in the fund. And that inclusion event is basically when the taxpayer has to pay taxes on those capital gains that they invested. But if they've held those gains in the fund for at least five years, they'll have to pay 90, taxes on 90% of what they would have had to pay otherwise if they did not invest the funds into the Qualified Opportunity Fund. So assuming that the investor keeps the, keeps the gains in the Qualified Opportunity Fund for another five years or so, if overall the investor has those gains in the Opportunity Fund for at least 10 years, then when that investor goes to dispose of or sell his interest, his its uh, interests uh, in the Opportunity Fund, then on that disposition, they don't have to pay any taxes on capital gains. So you have a front end benefit for capital gains taxes where you get a step up in basis and you get to defer the taxes, the payment of the taxes until the latest 1231-2026. And on the back end of the investment, uh, there is, uh, you, you get to walk away from the opportunity fund uh, tax-free in terms of capital gains. <laughs> Cool. Anything to add to that, David? Yeah, I think one of the things that when people are considering uh, whether to do a, a, a QF, QOF investment, a Qualified Opportunity Fund investment, as Patrick mentioned, you know, one of the things as it, if it relates to, you know, is this more beneficial than doing a 1031 exchange, uh, which also involve, potentially involves real estate. Um, you know, the differences between, for, between the two is that for a 1031 exchange, you're really focused on just real property. Uh, in terms of assets that can be uh, uh, dispossessed in order to take advantage of tax deferral, uh, 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 you know, as opposed to with a qualified opportunity zone uh, investment, uh, it can be sale of any type of property. It can be real property, any tangible property, personal property, including stocks, as long as you're putting the gain from that uh, into the investment. Um, for 1031 purpose, you know, it has to be like kind, real, uh, real property. So. 
um, under our qualified opportunity fund investment, there's no similar like kind reinvestment requirement. Um, and in the four, uh, as it relates to a QF, it only relates to the gains, right? So, um, you know, you don't get the benefit if you put in the, uh, invest the original basis as you would under a 1031 exchange where you could defer or reinvest the entire basis in capital gains and get that tax deferral benefit. Um, uh, as Patrick highlighted, you know, this is specifically for opportunity zones you can uh, find using a GIS, uh, geographic information systems available with your uh, local county or city, um, as opposed to um, a 1031 is any real property, basically anywhere in the United States. Um, uh, uh, and in terms of deferred tax liability, um, you know, it's specifically for qualified opportunity zone investments. It's really for the reduction or elimination of capital gain taxes. And as Patrick mentioned, that's dependent on the whole period. Um, as opposed, if we're doing a 1031, there's unlimited deferral of those capital gains, investing in uh, replacement property or substitute property. That's awesome. Well, uh, so I think while we stay on kind of the, the investor, um, you know, how how busy are you guys with Opportunity Zone investing and investor questions? Does it feel, so let me back up. Um, I'm not a sophisticated, like specific investor or, or tax advantage investor. I'm not a lawyer. I do invest in some startups. I'm an entrepreneurial community. I am technically an investor in real estate through kind of my commercial property. Um, and I'm always looking to be opportunistic. This sounds easy, simple in theory. You know, anecdotally, you know, you want money to go uh, into economically depressed areas. It's going to raise them up. It's sort of open. If you keep it in there, um, then you can get tax benefits on the gains, right? So it's like you, you can keep your own gains and not have to pay taxes, but you still have to put your money in and, and do the work so that there are gains and that the area that does go up. It could go down. It's not without risk. So it's sort of trying to create that, that, you know, win-win, you know, put risk in and, and be rewarded if that, if that pays off and the other win, not just, you know, for the investor and the building or the property or the business, but also for that community. So like win, win, win. Um, but when you describe it, it seems complicated, you know, must be qualified uh, proceeds. So not just basis, but like proceeds, maybe there's a time window, then that has to be into a QOF and then that QF has to deploy into a this. So not to rehash that because, you know, we can read it, but are, is this, is this type of program already like well-subscribed, oversubscribed? Do you think there could be a benefit to, you know, opportunity zone fund for dummies? Um, how, how are you seeing the kind of the trends in the marketplace from the investor point of view? I would say, Nick, that um, up until we get we do we get questions all the time. Um, I would say, uh, and we have been for the past, uh, I guess, couple of years. Uh, I would say that after the the uh, Treasury regs were just finalized and promulgated um, late 2019, uh, up until that point, uh, people were a lot more hesitant to pull the trigger. Uh, we're starting to see a lot more people pull the trigger now on it. It is pretty complicated. Um, one of the beauties, though, about it is that it is self-certifying. You don't have, unlike a 1031, as David was just talking about earlier, you don't have to um, 
you don't have to have a, a qualified intermediary or something like that to hold the gains for the investment. It's a fund, it, it would be a qualified opportunity fund that really anybody can set up and self-certify to the IRS that they are. Now, obviously there are, uh, rep there are reporting requirements and um, you need to make sure if you're running an opportunity fund that you have uh, really good accountants and really good record keeping, but um, it, is, it is kind of self-governing in a way. And so in that, in, in that respect, it is, um, it is, it is uh, easy. I mean, you know, there, there, are, there are pretty complicated rules to 1031 exchanges as well. There's gonna be complicated rules to any kind of tax advantaged um, uh, program, unfortunately. They're, they're not, you need, you need professionals to, to help you with them. Um, but, um, and, and, and honestly, they can be as complicated or as simple as you want them to be. Um, but yeah, there, there, there's a whole range of responses to, to the kind of the, the issue that you're, you're, you're proposing there, posing there. Anything to add to that, David? Uh, no, I think Patrick outlined it pretty well, thanks. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess this is timely. Um, in some ways, I wish these things were like published in real time because I'm like, oh man, it's so timely. Like Trump's tax returns are out and not, and I, this isn't a commentary either way. It's more like it's clear that with more sophistication, you get benefit from the government. And that doesn't yeah. seem to be like the spirit of right. this advantages. And, and we right. also have independent of presidential stuff, you know, it, it, fairness, equity um, in all kinds of things. Uh, gosh, I, you know, like access to things are all are bring up a big disparity in, in racial equity, gender equity, access to deals, access to information. So regardless of as the president or all the sort of societal issues that we're you know plagued with right now, th but this basically this seems to kind of speak to that. It almost is another one of those, right? Where it's like, if you can get really complicated, call your local attorney for X amount of dollars per hour and talk it out with them and then work out a thing. And then you've got this and you can follow these steps. Then therefore you can now help improve an economically depressed neighborhood. Is there a way that or opportunity zones can be more accessible for everyday people who might have had a, a gain? They sold something. I mean, could, could a local you know, shop owner, sell some stock, get some, you know, have what would have normally been, you know, capital gains and, and roll that into it and buy the store next to them? Could this, is there money that, is there a way that this money could be, or this advantage, it's not money, that this advantage could be uh, more easily accessed by, by the masses? Do you have, first of all, do you have to be a, an accredited investor as defined by the SEC or whatever? Do you know if you do, Patrick? Or oh, you definitely don't have to be an accredited okay. investor. Um, so that's one gate away. So anyone who, because yeah. any, anyone can make a gain, right? You can sell your business. Anybody can make a gain. Buy a stock, that's right. right. Okay. And so yeah. how so hard I'm, is it for the, yeah, go ahead. I'll just, I'll say a couple of things there. I, I, I completely. That was a lot, but yeah. No, it's good, man. I like it. Um, I, I um, you know, it's, it's, it's important to be, to be critical of, of, um, you know, where you are and make sure you're not being complacent with anything. Um, I'll say that, you know, from my perspective, one of the reasons why, and I think this is um, borne out in the rules, I think one of the reasons 
why that there's so there, this can be complicated is because Treasury does not want people to take advantage of this. So uh, one of the rules that is that has it makes it kind of complicated is the fact that if you're if you're buying into tan if you're buying tangible property, especially real property here, is what we're talking about. Um, you have to substantially improve it within 30 months of acquiring it. Um, and that substantial improvement piece means that you have to put into the property what you essentially, you know, your basis, essentially what you paid for it. Um, so that's one of the complicating factors. I mean, they want you to get moving on this to, 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 <clears throat> to spur on development in these zones. Um, and as far as, you know, whether there is... Uh, an easy way for the layman to kind of get into this. There are, you know, this is kind of where probably um, securities regulations and rules kind of uh, um, do a, uh, a, a dovetail with, with treasury regulations where, um, you know, it, it really is incumbent, it, it could be, it would be incumbent upon maybe an entrepreneur or somebody or a developer set up a structure um, that is easily accessible to uh, layman investors, lay investors, so that they can then put their funds into the qualified opportunity fund. On the, on the, on the investor side, it's not, it's not that complicated. I mean, all you have to do is realize gains. On the, on the opportunity fund side, that's where it kind of gets complicated. And that's where you kind of need professional help. But as far as anybody who wants to invest in these things, all they have to have is gains that they, they, they don't want to pay taxes on. They need to find an opportunity fund uh, that they're comfortable with and uh, they need to put those gains that they've realized into the fund within 180 days of uh, realizing those gains. How findable are those funds? There are lists out there. Um, Obviously, the, the lists are not regulated. They're not uh, compiled by governmental entities, I don't believe. There are lists out there. You can Google or my, my favorite new one is DuckDuckGoing. Um, but you can, you can search for them on the internet and uh, you can find them. Uh, if, I guess maybe the catch-22 here is that if you can search for the fund and you can find it, then it's probably big enough where if you're a layman investor, you, you might not qualify as an investor for that kind of a fund. Um, so these, the funds that, uh, you know, your, your average person are probably going to be taking, be able to take advantage of are really probably just going to be <clears throat> funds that um, are set up at a, at a more local level and are probably not as, as publicized or, or as, as big as those. Um, I can see it coming together um, if, a community or um, a neighborhood, for instance, wanted to uh, improve some of the property that, that they have and they live in, in their neighborhood, which is in an opportunity zone. It could be it could be cost effective for a neighborhood, for instance, to to form a fund like that and and get all the neighbors to pull in. Well, and, and David, you know this because you advise a lot of you know investors, investment managers, funds. You ran a fund for a while, as I as you mentioned. Um, you know, marketing your fund is sort of a challenge because mm -hmm. it's. Is this different though? Because you don't have to be an accredited investor. You could market a qualified opportunity zone. Like, is there a way for 
yeah, I mean, we want to invest into Greensboro and to Durham and to Raleigh uh, or some area or part that's, you know, important to us, we could market that investment opportunity more freely. Is that correct? Or do you want to speak to that given your kind of unique background? Well, I would say, as you know, with a typical fund, uh, as you know, you would need to be an accreditor and, uh, you know, that means either you have, um, uh, you know, substantial net worth, usually a million dollars, excluding the private, you know, the value of your private uh, residence, or if you're making income, if you're married, in ex uh, filing jointly in excess of 300000 or if you're an individual, uh, 200000 or more. Um, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, Patrick is focused, highlighted on Opportunity Zone uh, uh, property, but, you know, you also can do uh, invest in Opportunity Zone businesses that are located within an Opportunity Zone track. And um, to me, I'm not 100% uh, sure whether or not you have to be um, accredited in order to invest those kinds of businesses if it would normally would be required under uh, a traditional fund for you to be accredited. If you would have to have that same type of accreditation under uh, to invest in a qualified opportunity zone business. What it does allow you to do is to have different assets, uh, as previously mentioned, that can be deployed as a capital for that fund, and, you know, but in terms of marketing, um, you do want to make sure that you're in compliance with regulatory, uh, 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 you know, with the regulatory statutes and requirements. And, uh, and there's, you know, this is fairly new and we are, we're starting to see some investments in this, particularly on the real estate side. I haven't seen a lot on the, uh, uh, on the uh, Opportunity Zone business side, directly invested in businesses. But I think that's, you know, that, that will come, you come into fruition as people get more acquainted and more comfortable with doing the real estate aspect. I think the natural outflow is we will see increase in the investments in QOZBs as well. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, the great thing about this, it does open up the, uh, the, uh, the, the amount of capital, um, that can be deployed, uh, in such investments. And, uh, you know, it is a good, I think it's going to be a good long-term source for economic do uh, development on a go forward basis. Nick, I'll just add, sorry, let me just add a couple of things there. Um, I, with regard to the accredited investor question. I'll clarify that the treasury doesn't require you uh, to be a credit investor to, to get the tax benefits. Um, the whether securities uh, requires you is, is a different question. Um, uh, another thing is that I think this, I've heard it said this way, opportunity zone investments uh, or the legislation for opportunity zone investments doesn't make a bad deal good, but it makes a good deal better. Um, and so kind of maybe one way this plays out um, is especially with uh, developers who wouldn't otherwise be going into a property, real property with opportunities that, that's in an opportunity zone, developing it because uh, that step up in basis um, can really sweeten the deal for investors um, who are not expecting rental or revenue from the property while the property is being developed. And again, they have the, the, the investor the, or the, the opportunity fund has a period of time in which they have to develop it. But um, yeah, that, that step up in basis can uh, soften the blow for investors and make it attractive to invest in a developer who, who's, who, who, um, 
who's who's developing in an opportunity zone. I mean, if you had to put like a practical number, is there like a back of the napkin where like, oh, this deal was only going to be like 5% IRR, but because I stepped up in basis and I avoided that 20% capital gains, that's mm-hmm. now spread out. Well, I guess that's spread out. So you don't just add 20 to the IRR, right. but I mean, is yes. that, how does that equate? So, I mean, if you're, if let's just say you have a hundred thousand dollars in gains and you put that into a QOF, if you didn't put it into the QOF, it depends on, you know, there are, there are a number of questions as to how those gains would be taxed. If they're, if they're short-term gains, they're taxed as ordinary income. If they're long-term gains, um, then uh, there are, it depends on, you know, what the, what, the, what the bracket is, your capital gains bracket is. But um, let's just say that your tax rate is 20% uh, for capital gains for the year that you realize those gains. If you realized $100,000 in gains, you'd be paying $20,000 on that. Uh, if you put it into the qualified opportunity fund, then you're not a you're not paying taxes on those gains until uh, at the latest 1231 2026. Um, plus, uh, if you you know if if you keep the the gains in the fund uh, for five years, then you're paying you know 20% of 90,000 instead of 20% of 100,000. So I, I don't know off the top of my head, what 20% of is $18,000, David, instead of $20,000. That sounds about right. Yeah. So um, it's, yeah, 10%, you, you save uh, 10%. Yeah, that's right. You save 10% on your ta- on your tax bill by, by putting it into the, the opportunity fund. And then, so, but at some point, the basis is like fully stepped up and you are paying no amount of taxes on that gain that you invested into the opportunity right. fund, right? Right. And then what about if there's gains on that investment? So say that a hundred then became 120. If you wait to, you know, exercise or cash out for a certain amount of years, I think it's 10 or something like yep. that. It's 10 years. Uh, you just get $120,000. That's right. Okay. So, I mean, some, at some point we can get a complex calculator and say, hey, you know, what, what did that boost, you know, like what's the you know, incremental IRR improvement? Someone has to have calculated that. I don't know if you guys have that handy, but like if that's the case, there is sort of a, it makes a, it, ma- it doesn't make a terrible deal great, but it definitely, I'm just trying to get to kind of the order of magnitude. Does it make like a pretty like right. break even deal really acceptable or does it go even further and say, um, you know, or basically is it a large swing or is it kind of just a small little icing on the cake swing? I mean, uh, it, it, on the front end of things, you're probably going to, the, the, the benefits, the tax benefits are tangible. But I think where you see the most potential for this being a really good thing for an investor is on the back end. Because, I mean, I think the idea with this is to obviously revitalize uh, areas that are economically depressed. And, um, you know, as, as, as we all know, um, Durham's a case, case in point, um, once the ball gets rolling on revitalization, um, there, it, can, it, can be, it can be a snowball. And obviously, you know, I, I do want to be mindful of, of some of the, of the consequences of revitalization like gentrification, but uh, at least from the investor standpoint, and the investors may want to, uh, 
take a, an approach where they look for funds that are really geared towards maintaining the quality of, of, of living for the, for the inhabitants of the neighborhood and committed to, to the neighborhood itself. But it, at least from an investor standpoint, monetarily, um, you know, on the back end, it, assuming all goes right, then the property that they put their money into uh, could be could be tremendously valuable at the end of it. Yep, um, that's great. I think you know I will work on the math, the math there, and an infographic because I think you know we gave an example of uh, you know capital gains. You know, so that's more like twenty percent. But if what if you had a gain that was a shorter term? trade or, or outcome and it's ordinary income. And so then you're looking at, I don't know, 40% mm -hmm. uh, or 50%. So then, you know, there's other assumptions. I mean, it's hard for this to be perfect, but um, you know, if there were the same, you know, rate of return or same growth rate, you know, between an opportunity zone investment and a non-opportunity zone investment, then the difference after five years is very material. The difference after 10 years is like, super material it could be um, yeah very yeah. well could be i guess we have to test all the assumptions like is the sort of appreciation of this area right uh, that's an opportunity zone same similar or what's your delta there like it doesn't have to be five three to five percent it could be one it could be zero it could be maybe negative one and you still come out ahead mm -hmm. um that, there's some math there but yeah right, i mean so, it's so new. i was just say it's, it's so new that um i'd be surprised i mean I'd be surprised if uh, there's much in the way of economic data um, analyzing these really thoroughly, but um, you know, it's, it's the conversation is definitely worth having. And so um, David, Patrick just touched on this. There's not much data yet, but is there the hope that there's going to be a correlation between uh, my Siri just keeps picking me up. Actually, why did I just say Siri? Sorry. Uh, is there is there hope that there's going to be a correlation between this policy and some metric? Like, what's the KPI uh, of you know to, to determine if this was a successful uh, program to to roll out? Well, one of the key things is to is utilization of the area of the land that has not historically been. Uh, 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 used for commercial or mixed-use uh, uh, projects. Another key determinant uh, in terms of KPI would be jobs created, particularly as it relates to uh, opportunity zone businesses. And I think there are some uh, uh, unique opportunities uh, on that front that we've seen um, in order to uh, get businesses um, uh, situated within opportunity zone uh, uh, real estate development projects. Um, uh, in order to meet the job metric, which would be one of the key, uh, one of the uh, uh, major KPIs in order to judge whether or not this is successful or not. Um, uh, you know, I think that um, as, uh, uh, you know, uh, particularly as investors seek to deploy capital, they're looking for more than just uh, what you typically see with, uh, you know, if you buy stock or something like that, they want to see that it has impact within their local community and that it also helps increase and enhance the tax base uh, uh, from a government perspective. Um, that all overall benefits the community uh, uh, and uh, leads to um, um, underrepresented uh, groups being able to participate as well. And we've seen funds that have targeted that 
as well, specifically. Um, so uh, I think that it, 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 it provides an opportunity for creative structuring going forward as well. So let's stay with that. And I think that's the other, you know, hopeful outcome of conversations like this is, you know, it'd be great if I'm out there being a business and someone just like came in as like, you know what, I'm going to give you money. Um, that typically doesn't happen. Usually it's up to the business owner or the entrepreneur to go find their sources of capital and to be able to sell their kind of unique and creative advantages for businesses uh, in an opportunity zone or looking to locate into one or just looking for, you know, something right. And, and as it relates to this, this kind of topic, how would they go about pitching or sourcing some of the capital that's looking at uh, investing into qualified opportunity uh, zone businesses, QOZBs? I think this is one where it's important for you as a business owner to, to, you know, to be out there and talking to all types of investors, right? Because ultimately they're the ones that are give you the, uh, or expose you to the relationships where this could be a possible investment, uh, uh, as a possible investment for your company, right? Um, as you know, um, you know, as Patrick said, you may be able to identify some funds through, uh, um, um, you know, through services. But um, I, I think locally, it's uh, if you're talking to your accountant, if you're talking to your attorneys, they will have contacts in who are engaged in this particular area. Um, they will have contacts that they can refer you to, so that you can have those conversations. And so that you can necessarily understand what's required in order to be uh, as an you know you know as a suitable investment for opportunity zones. You know, if you're uh, you know uh, there are certain things that you must meet in terms if you're uh, OZB in terms from a safe harbor test, right? A couple you know a few things is that at least 50% of the services that you perform are done within the opportunity zone, and that could be based on hours, you know, or at least 50% of the amount that you um, that you pay for services or that those services that are performed by the employees are done within the opportunity zone. Or, you know, other alternative option to qualify is that um, if uh, all management operational functions are located in the opportunity zone. So making sure that you're structured and that you meet one of these safe harbor, uh, harbor tests in addition to some of the other indicia um, uh, to, to ensure that you qualify uh, uh, and will be an attractive uh, uh, investment as a, a OZB. Those are the things that you definitely have discussions with with your uh, council, as well as your accountant. That's great. And so, and, and Patrick, maybe, well, maybe I shouldn't ask you this because we had a trouble with the math earlier, but, um, <laughs> you know, what is that? <laughs> uh, so, um, so, like, because I hear that and that makes sense. And then, but I've also, you know, I mean, I'm, I've been like an entrepreneur for 20 plus years. Um, and, you know, I guess 20 years ago, I was still in college, but I had, you know, small business and whatever, selling stuff to people that sometimes I delivered and sometimes the product failed. Uh, but, <laughs> and so, I mean, and I'm studying things, I'm reading all the time, I'm going to, you know, I'm learning professionally. I went to, you know, University of North Carolina, I was in their business school, like, you know, I know more than like the average bear, but like, anytime it's like, oh, talk to your like lawyer and accountant, it's like, man, I just, what's the, give me the, like the anecdotal thing, like, there's so many 
I think a lot of businesses do have a, a professional network like that, but a lot don't, or if they can't envision what it looks like, they might not be able to ascertain if it's a valuable pursuit of their time or of their money uh, to, to engage with that, that team, if that's how their relationships are set up, or if they don't have a permanent you know, person in place. I mean, my wife runs her business and she just sort of piggybacks off of sort of the relationships I have in my business, but her business does kind of a lot of revenue every year and it's a full-time professional company. Um, so, you know, for, is the math compelling enough, you know, for a business owner to really pursue this? Is it, and my first starting point there would be, what does it mean to the investor? Like, is this just, if you're investable from a venture capital, then you're investable from investable from the, the OZB or, you know, kind of fund mm -hmm. or can a, you know, bakery get an investment and because they might grow or have cash flow or even just the basis alone, like kind of can it, either of you sort of piece together either the math side or kind of the, the scaffolding of why a business and what types of business might even start looking and how they can start to formulate their, their pitch. Yeah. So from the real estate perspective, um, I would say that what, what it comes down, like the, the first place to start <clears throat> is just to have a good broker um, who can run the numbers for you and uh, tell you, tell you, you know, is this a good deal or is it a bad deal? Um, the broker is going to have uh, their ears to the ground and they'll have a pulse on what the market is like. Um, so they can, they can probably opine as to the value of a deal, opportunity zone stuff put aside for, for the moment. They'll probably have the they'll probably have a, a pretty good idea of whether something's worth investing in, investing the time and money. And again, go back to the, um, the kind of the 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 Turner phrase: uh, opportunities and you know legislation will not make a bad deal good, but it'll make a good deal great. So you want to find those good deals first, uh, and you want somebody like a like a broker to be the first person of contact uh, to, to start talking to you about that. That, that, that's what I would do, to be honest. I guess from the uh, Opportunity Zone business side, I guess, you know, this could be an attractive, uh, you know, way to raise capital for businesses that have historically been locked out or had limited access to capital um, due to the additional incentive for a prospective investor, particularly for an investor that has really um, has a very low basis, but a high capital gain appreciation over the years. Let's say somebody who's bought stock that is appreciated tenfold, ten thousand, you know, and is looking to continue to defer that. Um, and it's that that's a natural partnership there um, um, because they do definitely want it. They have substantial capital that they can deploy into a QOF, um, and uh, they're able to uh, uh, assist businesses that otherwise, uh, you know, whether it be uh, minority groups, businesses run by, uh, by women um, that, have, as you know, Nick, have been under, underrepresented from a VC standpoint and traditionally lack um, uh, uh, access to those kind of markets. Um, I think that, um, you know, particularly if you're working with groups that are focusing on those types of uh, um, uh, Entities, whether it be like SOAR with NCID that focus on women entrepreneurs, or if you're working with, you know, you know companies that are working with like uh, backstage capital that's looking to help uh, uh, 
founders of color grow their business and things of that sort, if that could be tied in what, you know, in conjunction with what you see with traditional fund structures targeting those markets, I think there's a, a win-win solution there. Yeah. And what about, and so even more specifically, I'm thinking, so about, you know, that, that, that's actually, those are, that's some great information. Um, so I want to make sure I state that. And I'm trying to think about what about the actual sort of main street USA businesses that are like a retail store, a restaurant, a brewery, um, a, you know, hang a shingle literally in a, uh, in a storefront. Um, and there's many others like that, that aren't having any of those types of conversations or that many of them, is there a way for them to kind of get, you know, started on understanding how being an op in an opportunity zone is valuable so that they can have some tools to go out and leverage that to seek investment? Yeah, I think that's important. And I think that's one thing, you know, if they're, you know, their landlord should be helping them and, and let them know that they're in an opportunity zone, right? Because there are certain businesses that are located and that they're not aware of that. So it's making that they're, they're aware of that and that, um, um, you know, that, uh, you know, I think this is great for those, what I would call a mom and pop businesses, as you described, that, you know, uh, eventually will be cash flowing positive, but they're not on a high tech, you know, high growth trajectory, uh, as you would see within a tech or software company. Um, um, uh, so no, there are great opportunities for those types of businesses as well. And I think um, that would be an uh, you know, the having the ability uh, from an investor standpoint to get the tax benefits that uh, afforded through uh, you know through an opportunity zone vet uh, investments makes uh, makes that more feasible. Um, 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 and you know, they're willing, not necessarily willing, will you know, they're looking. These are typically you know what I would characterize as investments that generate singles and doubles, nice good returns. Um, uh, uh, but you're not necessarily looking for that 10x investment or 5x investment, but it allows you to uh, generate um, uh, as an equity owner, if you're an equity owner, uh, some distributions of cash, either through um, uh, dividends or other, other cash, uh, uh, cash distributions to you as, a, as an investor, but it also to, um, uh, allows you to potentially get all the tax deferral benefits under the QOF structure or Qualified Opportunity Zone structure. So, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, something worth exploring. And I think that what I, I think it can be seen is that there can be more, more activity on that front targeting those types of businesses, right? And, but we've, uh, Patrick, what's the fund that we came across that is actually trying to do something like that, that uh, wants to establish a franchise? Do you remember? Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> now that you asked me, I'm blanking on it. It's galvanized. Galvanize. And so, yeah, they're looking, so yeah, Galvanize, they're looking specifically to identify property that they can redevelop that are located in opportunity zones. And they wanna help uh, uh, folks uh, um, that want to have a franchise with a national, with nationally brand, brand uh, restaurants or, or shops, help them establish that within, that, within, within those um, uh, locations and um, you know, that's a strategy that um, uh, can work. And so there are funds that are targeting those types of businesses specifically. So- um, uh, That's interesting. You know, again, and so how would that, go ahead. So, you know, so it all, it's all taking advantage of the structure and the creative structure that's availability under 
uh, under under um, under the rules, Treasury rules going forward. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think I think galvanize is about as close to a plug and play real estate QOF investment as you probably could find. Um, they've they've identified their their spots. They've identified uh, their their vendors and their uh, franchise franchisors. Um, and yeah, I think they've they've uh, done a good job of vetting vetting their model. Yeah, and so how you know if you invest into a brand new business, your cost basis is already zero. So is there further benefits uh, to investing into a, a qualified opportunity zone business if it's starting from scratch? I don't think you still get the tax benefits that you would, whether it's an established business. Or oh, because of the step up. So you still got it, got it, got it, got it. And then um, are there any, so small businesses are, maybe a franchise is a little bit different, but if it's your mom and pop, I mean, they're illiquid for the most part. So are there any kind of benefits on like their cash flow or other, or is it like you have to hope that that mom and pop then sells their pizza shop or, you know, um, local store to, in order to get that back end gain? Well, typically most mom and pops are, stru are structured as, you know, as a LLC or an escort, right, which has passed through distributions to the, uh, to the owners, right? So if you're an investor equity holder in that, you would receive the distributions on a pro rata basis based on you, the, your, your investor at, at, and as you're represented on the cap table, right? So you get that through the life of the investment. In addition to, you know, the, the additional, you know, upside is if there's a sale down the road or some kind of um, what we call recapitalization. If the business is generating strong cash flows uh, to be able to get debt in order to buy out your equity, uh, at, you know, and upon agreed on time, that also provides you a liquidity event too. Got it. So more, you know, it sounds like more, well, just more thinking and more, resources going into this the business side i think you know educationally too not just you know money flowing in i think this mm -hmm. is needed and will be helpful because i've got still a lot of questions and i don't know if they're easily answerable or not but i'm just trying to think of the you know small business the mom and pop like the liquidity issue or you know even to all those things like that's hard if i was an individual investor and not a fund you know or, or a small fund like just trying to you know get the advantage of the opportunity zone opportunity. Well, that, that was a little redundant. Um, with, you know, really trying to get to the, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the struggle. Trying to get to the heart, the intent of this whole program, right? So if all it does is like create sweet mega condos in depressed areas, then all those like shop owners now can't afford rent. Um, so how do we, you know, make sure we're in that, you know, creating the equal, if not greater incentive incentives for the, the job creation and the businesses that are in there, um, and making it clear, like a clear cut. I mean, part of this is making it a clear path of, uh, like low friction for the investor. Um, so I can just, I can just anticipate some challenges like, you know, with the, the very small business, um, mm -hmm. direct investment. David, I think you and I have had some had some conversations early on with some folks in your network about um, 
you know, what they saw as a potential upside in terms of revitalizing opportunity zone areas uh, is as opposed to kind of weighing that against the, you know, the potential for not achieving what the legislation uh, was kind of touted to achieve. I don't know if you remember those, uh, those conversations, if you have any further comment on that, but I think the gist of it was, um, you know, it, it can be done well, but it's, it's essentially set up so that you can do it um, in a way that is, is not really equitable and, and, and transparent and fair for everybody involved. Yeah, I remember those conversations, Patrick, but, and that goes to intentionality, right? And knowing as an investor what you want to accomplish and that particular investor group wanted to benefit the people that lived in that area, right? And so they didn't want to necessarily see gentrification occur. Right. And the goal was to have projects where they could also get, um, you know, do mixed use project where they could have housing for the folks that historically lived there as well as having commercial activity so they could benefit as a, as a community. And yeah, uh, yeah. so it requires that level of intentionality, Nick. And, but there are gonna be folks that are going to, you know, use this as an opportunity to, uh, you know, to, uh, to pursue uh, a lot of the developments that you see going on in, in uh, particular like you see in downtown uh, Durham, where you're gonna see, um, you know, the, the nice high rise condos and things of that sort. Um, but, uh, you know, um, you know, people will play the rules and, <laughs> you know, and uh, 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 you know, more power to them. I and mean, we understand that, but, you know, the intention is if you have that intentionality and, you know, from a, I could say from a seller standpoint, I had a seller who had a nice track of land in Opportunity Zone and they decided not to sell because they didn't want to see another one of those types of projects. And they wanted to see ultimately that the buyer that, you know, purchased the, uh, uh, the property had intentions of doing something that would benefit that particular uh, uh, area uh, where the property is located. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, there's well, the meaningful, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess if it's, <laughs> it's, it's sort of a slippery slope because if being an opportunity zone increases your value, then the amount of meaningful redevelopment dollar amount goes up. And then once you put a certain amount in it, it just can't be what it was. You, cross some threshold where now you're sort of a, a large project, you know, so is that sort of a, you know, an adverse snowball effect that's occurring? Yes and yes. But yeah, you know, it's, it, yeah. And there are folks that are taking advantage of that. And, uh, you know, um, um, but that's the, you know, that's the, you know, how things generally play out, but there are also folks that are being very conscientious and making sure that it's, uh, it, it meets the spirit of what was intended under the regulations and that it's beneficial to uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, residents of the community. Um, yeah. Well, and in my mind, or, you know, when I said that, I really didn't mean take advantage. I just meant like, if, you know, something was worth 500,000, but now it's worth a million because it's in an opportunity zone, then you have to put a million into it. Now you've got a $2 million project. And now you have to up the rents because you've got a lot of capital invested, even though it's going to be tax advantageous, you still have to generate a return mm -hmm. on that total number, yeah. which was driven up because of the opportunity zone, which then was all the total amount was driven up because of the meaningful uh, 
or you know the, the threshold of what defines kind of a, a redevelopment. Yep. So. Yeah, sellers are going to bake that bake that into the price, presumably. So let's move to kind of a close. Um, you know, I guess closing thoughts on you know where I guess it sounds like we're in the early innings. Is this well, I guess let me start by asking, is this set to expire or is there anything like with presidential elections that will like kind of end this program? Is there, or is it kind of in place for at least a certain amount of time? Is there, I guess let's speak to that before we kind of think too far ahead about the future of the Opportunity Zone program. I don't think it's going anywhere for the foreseeable future. I mean, there's been some rumblings um, from different people in Congress about getting rid of it, but Overall, um, I think it's going to stay put where it is. The, I don't think it's, there's no expiration date. I mean, in the legislation itself, uh, the only kind of deadline is that 1231-2026 deadline, which is when uh, if you invested gains into a opportunity fund, that's when you would have to pay taxes on those gains at a, you know, presumably, hopefully a stepped up basis. Um, I don't, I, th I think that it's going to uh, stick around for a while. Um, my hope is that uh, we get you know, conscious investors and conscious uh, fund managers um, increasingly involved in these kinds of projects. I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of my hope. David, I think that's everyone's hope. I think, yeah. yeah, I think I agree with you, Patrick. I think that's everyone's hope. And you know, to me, as more of these transactions get done, you'll see a step <laughs> up in terms of volume. And frequency. So I think that, you know, 2021, we should see continued uptick uh, in these types of deals and transactions on a go forward basis. Where do you, where are we, would you say, David, in terms of volume now versus like kind of the capacity for where it should be, if you had to kind of approximate it? I would say there is, um, to be honest with you, a lot of the investment that has been done in, large, in, in major metropolitan areas have been in those areas, areas where, where gentrification has occurred. And I think as we look at more, uh, you know, more like the opportunities, uh, opportunities here in North Carolina, I think um, where it's more, not, I'm not, not, rules, not the word, you know, uh, right word, but let's say more suburban. Um, I think we will see more, it will see uh, increases in that on that front as well. Um, um, because there is, you know, you can do a lot with that. And I, you know, I've seen from business clients that have wanted to, they're looking to move from the downtown area to opportunity zones and where they can have their headquarters and they can have, you know, uh, uh, take advantage, you know, have investors come in and provide the capital and take, get it, take advantage of the tax benefits of the, uh, of the opportunity zone. So I see, I, I think you're gonna see more of that uh, from an economic development play as well. But I agree with Patrick, we do need more conscious, you know, more conscious capital involved in this as well too, to make sure that um, we're, it's a, you know, we're adhering to the spirit of what the regs were intended to accomplish. If you could design one thing into it, is there anything you would design into this to like make it so that it could be more, so you don't have to just hope for, you know, people to follow the intent to where it's, more like designed to only have it follow the intent? Well, I think the best outcome, um, and uh, there are there are funds that are, that are taking this approach, the best outcome is uh, to 
and put investment into an opportunity zone that creates jobs for people who live there to the, to the point that, you know, uh, I mean, sufficient, sufficient, with sufficient economic activity, uh, supporting those jobs that the people who are working them don't have to move because their rents are driven up. Um, and I, that's like, that's a problem. I don't know that any legislation can solve, but, um, it, it, it really, would in my mind take a multifaceted approach to investing um, to make sure that the people who this legislation is designed to benefit, i.e. the people uh, who work and live in opportunity zone areas um, get, the, get the benefit and don't get run out of there. Or as simple as part of the, if it's a residential development, you know, a certain percentage of the housing is allocated yeah, that's true. That uh, have historically lived in that in that project, so that they are priced at below market rents, so that yeah. they have the opportunity to uh, uh, to continue to reside in that area as well. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, on the one hand, it's easy to sort of jump to the conclusion that this is basically a like, you know, gentrification accelerator, and so really has no societal benefit other than like increasing property values and otherwise depressed areas and just moving, you know, capital around, um, which is not, not terrible, I, I, I guess. But I think, you know, for me, it just comes down to the businesses. If it's, if it's clear mm -hmm. and easy for businesses in opportunity zones to meet those safe harbors and raise money and, and get more money into their businesses, then that will, that's, that will drive a lot of the kind of intended per, uh, economic activity around the real estate, like just on the real estate, like that yeah. inevitably after 10 years, then you still got to cash out and they're going to sell it and it's going to be a new condo anyway. So like, it's almost like that's going to happen unless it's a thriving business community and there's other reasons to keep it that still create the win, win, win. Um, I think kind of short term, it's it, it's there. Like if you can take a if you can take a rundown place, make it into a nice er place that encourages more local business activity, foot traffic, et cetera, and those jobs all stay in that area. People can you know have a nicer place to work and 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 without moving. Um, I think that's great, and I think that's you know, definitely the intent. I, I just kind of keep thinking about like how do we produce more resources so. As if you think of stuff, let's let's share them, let's post them, let's get them on the internet. If I think of stuff, I'll I'll do the same. I think kind of getting more education around the business side will be to me a key to kind of maintaining this the spirit of, of the yeah. program. And I think Nick, an area an opportunity, uh, you know, area where this can be applied is you know in some kind of public-private partnership where we can do you know workforce housing. You know, because part of the issue is is that we have a lot of folks that service our communities, right? That can't afford to live there anymore, whether it be ER, our first responders, you know, firemen, policemen, whether it be teachers uh, 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 or, you know, um, teachers or, you know, folks that, you know, are garbage men, things, folks like that, that can no longer afford to live within our, uh, within, the, within our communities and doing projects that they could benefit. And that's something that, you know, because we want those people to be here. <laughs> we don't want necessarily where they have to commute out from 20, 25 miles out in order to come to do the job here in the city. We could do something on that front. I think that would be nice, and I, you know, something to pursue. That's um, right, yeah. 
Yeah, and all these towns, I mean, we have an office in New Orleans, and I think that's one of their biggest fears there is that it gets so cool that all the locals have to move out because that's literally what makes the city sort of the, you know, the magic um, of all these people that, that live there that have, you know, gone through different things together, but that make, you know, everything from just like the food scene to the art scene, music, um, the voodoo street scene, all, all that stuff. Like if that all goes away, cause it's just like super touristy and turns into, um, I was gonna say it turns into Charleston, but I didn't really mean that as a negative, but you know, like, oh, everything's super fancy. It's all tourists. And then every old house is a million dollars plus. Um, then it loses its character and it sort of defeats the whole purpose. And so we don't want that here in our, in our you know, towns either. So I think that's a great idea, David. And, you know, would love to put our heads together on how we can make that happen and, and keep the conversation going. But I know we're a bit over time, so uh, I want to wrap up. Um, and uh, yeah, I think this was super productive. Uh, David, I guess you go first. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or plugs um, for yourself, the firm, your personal projects, professional projects, or, or anything of that nature, I would say? now would be the time to, to plug it. <laughs> well, thanks, Nick. I, I do want to mention that our firm is a certified B Corp firm. That means that we're devoted to our community and giving back to our community. And that our attorneys uh, are, are consider ourselves integral to the community and take a, a large role, whether it be through our providing pro bono services or participating on boards of uh, particularly of uh, uh, organizations that are of interest to us. Um, that's very that's instilled in each of uh, each of our attorneys, um, and we like to see capital done for good, uh, uh, as well. Um, where our firm provides the full suite of corporate law services, whether it be from mergers and acquisitions to commercial real estate to uh, succession and business planning, uh, and we have a statewide platform to do so. Um, I think, as I said, that. Uh, in terms of opportunity zones, I think this will continue to grow. And I just, we want to make sure that it's done where all, everyone gets to benefit from it. And it's a win-win situation. Turn it over to Patrick. Well said, David. Um, I would just say, Nick, going back to something that you, uh, a comment that you made earlier about, um, you know, small business owners may not have uh, their network of attorneys and accountants will make us part of your network. We have to have a conversation. So, um, we love, we love talking about this stuff and we love, uh, thinking creatively about it. So, uh, give us a call, shoot us an email. Sounds great. Cool. Well, that's, that's it. That's an awesome, awesome show guys. So, uh, I'm going to hit hang up. Um, I, this, you know, obviously last piece will get edited out, but, um, it, like I said, we've got kind of interns on the case. So, it's not, this isn't going to post like next week. So if anything you think of, you want to yeah. add, like, or add a link or like, oh shit, I shouldn't have said that. Like just whatever. Um, but probably three or four weeks, you'll get an email from us being like, Hey, this is about to go up. And then we'll, you know, what are your social handles? So we'll, we'll send all that. Um, and you know, I should have thought twice because I obviously am now going to send this to said team and, uh, I should you know, have stopped reporting before I you know, said the interns are doing it and therefore they're slow. That's not true. <laughs> they're awesome. Well, as you edit this, do a great job. Make me look good. Go polish my, you know, you guys rock my, my gray out of my beard. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, thanks. That's awesome. I like that kind of that, that piece about, you know, integral to the, to the community. And I think that's sort of a big, it's whether opportunity zone or, or businesses at, at large, and actually all of this is sort of around the, the virtuous circle of 
business and community and people, right? So like if we create a better sort of place, uh, then we'll all kind of benefit. And that's, I think, kind of the B Corp mission too. Like it's kind of, it does help your bottom line to also go do free stuff and help advise others and help them get better at their thing. Even though it's not a direct benefit, you'll, you'll get that direct benefit back later somehow. Yeah. Um, so good stuff. All right. Well, I know you guys got to go, but thank you for the time. And, thank uh, you so much, Nick, for the opportunity. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, good to talk thanks, to you Nick. Guys, as always. All right. Thanks, yeah. David. Thanks, Patrick. Thank